Good morning, everyone. So glad to see your beautiful faces today. <laughs> um, don't laugh. Don't laugh. <laughs> I shouldn't know. So, um, men's Bible study Tuesday evening. Yes. And is there is there anything else? What anything else? Uh, women's Bible study Tuesday morning. Most of you already know that. And potluck, prayer and potluck is on Thursday evening. We invite everyone to come to that, and it's a wonderful time. Um, Heavenly Father, we do praise and thank you for this glorious day that you've provided for us. We take a breath each morning and recognize that that breath comes from you and that the day before us is in your hands. We ask, Lord, for opportunities to share the good news of the salvation of Jesus Christ and the opportunity to help lift one out of darkness and pluck them into your glorious hands. We ask for you to give us those opportunities, Lord, and to give us eyes and ears to see what you've given. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We ask you for a blessing. Um, to speak to us through Pastor Ray, and we look forward to all that you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. You ever have those times where circumstances arise and you need an answer to your problem, and you do with all your might to do it on your own? And the last place you turn to is God. <laughs> I'm guilty at times on that. We wait upon God, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. Isaiah 40, 31. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that Christians are exempt from tribulation, natural disasters, or any other negative circumstances. We live in a world that is infected with the disease of sin, and we share in its misery and pain. But the Bible does teach us that we can face trials with a power others do not have, the power of God. And as we trust him, God helps us to endure and even discern his purposes in the midst of that suffering. There was a young gal, she was the Christian daughter of a former governor in China, wrote, throughout my Many years of illness, 53 years, I have never dared to ask God why he allowed me to suffer so long. I only asked him what he wants me to do. The eagle has the unique ability to lock its joints and soar effortlessly on an updraft instead of flapping its wings. As we wait on God, he helps us to use those winds of adversity to soar above our problems. And the Bible also says, those that wait upon the Lord shall mount up with eagles, or wings like eagles. And the hope for today, it is human nature when trials come to be consumed with trying to figure out the why. What if we, during the difficult seasons, choose to remind ourselves who is in control and ask what would he have us to do?
Testament today is from Psalm 86, verses 6 through 13. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer, and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble I will call upon you, for you will answer me. Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you. O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord, my God, with all my heart, and I will glorify your name forevermore. For great is your mercy toward me, and you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. If you'd like to stand for the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And while you're there standing, greet one another. Our New Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. Sorry, I just thought that would go on forever if I didn't stop. <laughs> you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, 
you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. You have heard the commandment that says, you must not commit adultery. But I say anyone that even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So if your eye, even your good eye, causes you to lust, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your hand, even your stronger hand, causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. You have heard the law that says, a man can divorce his wife by merely giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she has been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. You have also heard that our ancestors were told, you must not break your vows. You must carry out the vows that you made to the Lord. But I say, do not, I'm sorry. But I say, do not make any vows. Do not say by heaven, because heaven is God's throne. And do not say by the earth, because the earth is his footstool. And do not say, by Jerusalem, for Jerusalem is a city of the great king. Do not even say, by my head, for you cannot turn one hair white or black. Just say a simple, yes, I will, or no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. I guess they didn't have hair dye. <laughs> you join me in the responsive reading. Lord of the crystal blue sky, bless us with clarity of vision. Lord of the lengthening evening, lighten our burdens. Lord of the biting breeze, sharpen our response to your spirit. Lord of the falling leaf, lift our hearts heavenward. In our autumn, may we seek your spring. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, creator of all, owner of all, you have entrusted some to us. You call us to give back. Lord, we ask 
that you guide how we use the gifts and the gifts that we have or some of them are monetary, others are physical or just traits or skills. We can give back in many, many ways. But we ask you to guide how we, you, how we give and how, how those gifts are used so that they be, may be pleasing in your sight. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.
morning. Lamentations chapter 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Do we comprehend those lyrics? In the beginning The Lamb of God was broken and his blood was poured out for the sins of the world. Do we understand what's being said? Do we understand that the moment the Godhead decided to create this earth in the beginning, they knew it would require the sacrifice of Jesus to redeem fallen mankind. Therefore to say, in the beginning the Lamb of God was broken, his blood poured out for the sins of the world, is entirely accurate in the context of all scripture. Jesus was slain even before the world began. Now to wrap our heads around that, we need to understand that God is time. He exists in the past, the present, and the future, all at the same time. So for him, from the very beginning, Jesus was slain. I believe Jesus knew exactly what lay before him every waking and sleeping moment of his earthly life, even as a small child. Consider this comparison. Genesis chapter 1 juxtaposed with the Gospel of John chapter 1. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning the earth was formless and void. Darkness covered the deep waters and the Spirit hovered over them. John chapter 1 verse 1 In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh in order to bring us a Genesis light of redemption. The advent of Jesus created a new beginning for mankind, a new morning of grace and covenant. Covenant made and sealed in blood, replete with provision for everyone everyone to become a new creation. God's mercies are truly new every morning. Every morning Jesus gives us a second chance for redemption. 
every morning, just like Peter, we can jump out of our boat, swim to the shore, and meet the risen Savior and ask for forgiveness. Do you remember that story? Jesus appears after his resurrection, and the disciples are fishing, and tells them, cast your nets on the other side, and John looks at Peter and says, Peter, it's the Lord. The last time Peter saw Jesus, he had just denied him three times. And he swims to the shore looking for redemption. You remember Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? The first time he asked with the word agapeo, do you love me with the love of God? And Peter thought, I don't have a hook big enough to hang that hat on. I don't comprehend that kind of love. So Peter answered with phileo, Lord, I love you like a friend. Jesus asked him again, do you love me with agapeo love? Jesus, uh, Peter answered, Lord, I love you like a friend. Third time, Jesus asked him, and Jesus lowered the expectations down to, Peter, do you love me as a friend? Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Three times, Peter denied Christ. Three times, he had to profess Christ. And what did Jesus say? If you love me, feed my lambs. Minister to my lambs. This is the calling of Christ on every follower. Every follower of Christ. You can't say, a Christian, can't say you're a Christian unless you're willing to share that gospel of peace and salvation. We need to remind ourselves that we are servants. Servants of the king. We have been redeemed for a reason. And that reason, that mission, is to share the gospel. God's mercies are new every morning. And while we're sleeping, God prepares for us a new day, ripe with opportunities to share our faith. Every morning, God will once again use our obedience, our service, and our speech to create a new world for those who are lost. When we sleep, we get out of God's way long enough for him to prepare new mercies and to give us a new day of heaven on earth. Let us pray. Lord, give us a new vision, a new comprehension of you and your holiness. Lord, we are the most literate and knowledgeable generation of Christ's followers ever. We have more Bible teachers, more resources available to us than any generation before us. We are more knowledgeable of your word, more educated in theology than any generation before us, but often, too often, very ignorant of who you are. Teach us, Lord, 
that if we are to know you well, we must know you in prayer. Teach us, Lord, that our prayer life is where we truly commune with you. We can read our Bibles all day long, but if we fail to take the time to sit before you and listen to you in a communion, we will not hear that which you truly wish to say to us. Help us slow down and focus on listening to your still small voice. Those whispers of truth and peace you would speak into our frantic and worried souls. And now, Father, I ask that you bless every word I speak. Make every word I speak your words for the glory of your great name and the exhortation of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you slow us, show us slide one, please? Okay, buckle up. <clears throat> you get two sermons this morning. Our text this morning is John 10, verses 1 through 10. The title of my sermon is, I am the gate for the sheep. But first, let me qualify something about our text this morning. There should really be no chapter divisions between John 9 and 10. They're the same day, the same place, the same time. One is a continuation of the other. Now, previously in John chapter 9, Jesus has healed a man born blind on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. And he has received scorn and condemnation from the Pharisees. Here in chapter 10, Jesus begins his rebuke of these Pharisees. He's calling them thieves and robbers. For they have polluted the truth of Scripture and usurped God's authority and his guidance of his people. Slide two, please. This is Jesus speaking. We'll read the entire text. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from a stranger because they don't know his voice. Slide three, please. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant. So he explained it to them. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. The is a direct article. In other words, Jesus is saying, I am not only the gate for the sheep, I am the only gate for the sheep. All who come before me came before me, were thieves and robbers. Again, Jesus is calling the Pharisees thieves and robbers, and they get it. But the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I am the gate. 
Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. In other words, Jesus is saying, I have come to give them joy. I want you to take a new look at the Beatitudes this morning. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are the peacemakers. That word blessed in the Greek is makarios. The word is an adjective indicating happy and supremely blessed. It is grace manifested in the special joys for those who have experienced God and his salvation. Instead of blessed are, let's say this. God gives joy to the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God gives joy to those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. God gives joy to the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. He's talking about the millennial kingdom here. We don't want to inherit this earth the way it is. It needs restoration. God gives joy to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. God gives joy to the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. God gives joy to the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, if that doesn't give you joy, you got a problem. We need to talk. How full is your joy tank this morning? Hopefully it's pegged out. Let's get back to uh, today's text in John 10. We're going to review verses 1 through th uh, 3. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. Who is the gate? Jesus. But he is the gate to what? The kingdom of God. Who is the gatekeeper? The Holy Spirit. Why did Jesus teach in metaphors? First century Palestine was an agrarian society based on agriculture. Even those who weren't shepherds understood the context of what he was saying. God has represented himself as Israel's shepherd throughout the Old Testament. They were familiar with this. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Psalm 77. You led your people like a flock of sheep with Moses and Aaron as their shepherds. 79. We, your people, are the sheep of your pasture. Psalm 80. Please listen, O Lord, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph's descendants like a flock. Psalm 95, we are the people he watches over the flock under his care. Throughout scripture, whether king, 
prophet or priest, the leaders of Israel were called the shepherds of Israel. This ancient image dates back 1,000 years before even Ezekiel. But listen to what the Lord said to Ezekiel about Israel's shepherds. Slide four, please. Ezekiel 34. Then this message came to me from the Lord, son of man. He's calling Ezekiel by a type or a foreshadow of Christ. Prophesy against the shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message from the sovereign Lord. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? You drink the milk, wear the wool, and butcher the best animals, but you let my flock Israel starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty, thieves and robbers. This is a haunting warning to today's false teachers. Back to the Gospel of John. I tell you the truth, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But what's the meaning of sheepfold? What is a sheepfold? Every town had a sheepfold. It was like a corral for the sheep. And typically the walls were made of rock. The sheepfold was a communal corral or stable for sheep like today's stockyards. All the local shepherds would use it as a depot when they brought their flocks to town. There was no need to tag or brand the sheep because the sheep would only follow, only listen to their shepherd. They identified their shepherd by his voice and would not budge unless they heard his voice. The shepherds would pay a fee to the gatekeeper to watch the sheep overnight. It was his job to post a watch all night long and prevent any harm from coming to the sheep. So what's the context here? What is the sheepfold? What does it represent? The sheepfold is not heaven. For the Jews, the sheepfold represented the legalism of Judaism. For we Gentiles, it represents the snares of this world. Jesus here is representing himself as not only the good shepherd, but the only true gate that opens to heaven. Therefore, he is calling Israel out of the sheepfold of legalistic Judaism into the verdant pastures of the kingdom of God. Likewise, he is calling we Gentiles out from the sheepfold of a godless world into this same kingdom. Of God. Beyond that, Jesus is calling present-day Christians out of apostasy, out of false teaching, out from under those who claim to preach Christianity, but do not. In other words, those false doctrines are based on the works, righteousness, or idolatry, false doctrines. 
Anytime you put an adjective in front of the gospel, prosperity gospel, it's no longer the gospel. Verses 4 and 6. After he, the shepherd, has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from the stranger because they don't know his voice. Thieves knew that the sheep would not recognize their voice. Therefore, they crawled over the wall, slit the sheep's throat, and threw the carcass over the wall, and then would drag it off for its wool and its meat. Sheep rustlers. Verse 7 and 9, I tell you the truth. I am the gate for the sheep, all who came before me were thieves and robbers. He's speaking specifically to the Pharisees, the priests and the teachers who were trying to place themselves between God and his people. We see that in the Catholic Church. You can't obtain salvation without going through an earthly priest, or so they would have you believe. Thieves and robbers. In Christ's day, Caiaphas was the high priest. He was the one who allowed the money changers into the women's court, or what was also called the treasury court. He took a healthy cut from all the sales of the money changers as they provided sacrificial animals. So when Jesus threw the money changers out of the temple, Caiaphas' pocketbook felt it, and therefore Jesus had to die. Jesus said, those who come in through me will be saved. Come in to where? The kingdom of God. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. Do you see the context? If you're in the sheepfold, you're in trouble. You have to come out of the sheepfold and follow our master. Where are these good green pastures? I've preached this to you before. Ephesians 2, 3, and 6. They are heavenly places. Because we are in Christ, we are seated with him in heavenly places. These are our verdant pastures. The green pastures and still waters of Psalm 23 are God's provision for us here on this earth, not the sweet by and by. Verse 10, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. King James says, give them life more abundantly. The Greek word translated abundantly is parasos. It means a superabundance, excessive, overflowing, profuse, extraordinary abundance. The message says, I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. How's that going for us this morning? I don't see anybody vibrating in their seats or jumping for joy. Nobody seems all that jiggy this morning, but you are smiling. God bless you. I grew up Pentecostal, still am. 
Uh, the churches I grew up in, uh, they were, would never qualify as holy rowers. But I did experience uh, one time something I suppose was close to that. My father, when we were pastoring in Abilene, Texas, had a, an assistant minister. His name was Marvin Pierce. He was a big man. Uh, over six feet and very close to 300 pounds. We were having a worship service on a Wednesday night, as I recall. And the spirit was moving. I, we never even got to the, the sermon. And my father called up those who needed prayer. Marvin came up. And before we knew it, Marvin was jumping. He cleared at least three feet. And he jumped, and he jumped, and he jumped. A 300-pound man jumping that high was a sight to behold. Now, mind you, this church was built on a pier and beam foundation. It had wood floors. A relatively, well, half, half of what we have here. So you could feel every jump. But that man was like a ballet star. He was clearing at least three feet. And this was the most meek and mild man you have ever met. <clears throat> so needless to say, that made an impression on me. But I looked around at my teenage friends, and we all just smiled. It's like, we know what's going on. We know Marvin. And if he is that excited about God, let him jump. I remember services in my youth where the presence of the Lord was so intense it felt like you had stepped into a sauna. It was beautiful. <clears throat> Show us slide five if you would please. John fifteen eleven from the King James. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might be in you, might remain in you and that your joy might be full. Might. It's all up to you. A fullness of joy is Christ-likeness, which is a divine quality of character that is given only by God. It is rooted in relationship with Christ, a relationship that is focused and not distracted by earthly cares. Christ-like joy is defined for us in Hebrews 12:2. Who for the joy, we're talking about Christ, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We don't understand that kind of joy. We try but we do not understand. We're not familiar with a joy that's worth dying for. But it's coming. Jesus attracted crowds of five and 10,000 not because he was morose or brooding, but because he rea uh, related joy that was highly contagious. Even the little children could not stay away. He was fun to be around. Charisma was his middle name. 
And he found great joy in doing his father's will. And people wanted to know where they could get that kind of joy. Everything you do for the glory of God is rewarded. There is instant gratification in doing God's will. Has anybody discovered that? Yes. Yes, amen. There are no delayed payments. You get instant gratification for doing God's will. And if you don't find joy in serving God, you ain't doing it right. In lieu of a benediction today, I'm going to do something a, a little different for the next few weeks. I passed out uh, a questionnaire to you last week. I gave you some homework. How are we doing on that? We're going to touch on a, a couple of these ten questions each week for the next few weeks. So let's review. Now there are some uh, extras back there on the table if you need, but we'll put it on the screen. Show us slide six, please. Ten questions to help you determine if you are truly awake and alive to Jesus. The past few weeks we've studied Jesus as the good shepherd. Jesus, the gate for the sheep, the true vine, the light of the world, the way, the truth, and the life. So, have any of these sermons impacted your heart? Question number one, how real has God been in your heart this past week? Has Jesus been present and tangible to you? Or have you let the cares of the world weigh you down? Change your focus. Fasten your seatbelt. If you're only spending 10 minutes a day in your devotions, you may only find Jesus real for 10 minutes a day. Isaiah 26 verse 3, You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you. All whose thoughts are fixed on you. Learn to keep your mind fixed on Jesus all day long. Listening for that still small voice. Let me ask you this. What is the structure of your prayer life? Think on that for a moment. Show slide eight please. I'm wrong, show us slide seven. When was the last time you asked God to prune your branches so you can produce more fruit? Oh, I've pruned enough shrubs and enough trees to know that's got to hurt. But it's the only way we grow. There's great joy in being fruitful. Contentment is a two-sided coin. Walking with Christ and the joy of his presence is one side of the coin. The other side is becoming content with our own way. Seeking our own pleasures apart from Christ. <clears throat> Excuse me. This is deadly. If we don't include Christ in everything we do, 
we get in very, very bad habits. We should be able to invite Christ to help us fix leaky faucets, to help us repair patios. Let me tell you, any time I work on an automobile, I pray. <laughs> My dad was very wise. He said, son, there are some things in life that draw blood. Crawling under the hood of a car, you will always draw blood. So I pray. When we're satisfied with the status quo, we're in dangerous waters. Contentment apart from Christ is not contentment at all. It's self-centeredness. When you have the joy of the Lord, you find yourself asking, what's next, Papa? Where do we go next? How often do you pray, Abba, Father? In Hebrew, that's Daddy, God. How often do you pray, Abba? Where are we going next? What's our next adventure? Pruning is loving. When we allow the Lord to prune our branches, it's like getting a new prescription for your glasses. One that you can actually see the radio towers on Mount Lemon. That's a hallelujah moment. At least for me it is. But in the spiritual, when you can see the towers on Mount Lemon, you can also see things that are right before your face. You see them perfectly. Slide number eight, please. <clears throat> In summary this morning, let me read for you 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 4. This is from the NLT. And now a word to you who are elders in the churches. I too am an elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And I too will share in his glory when he is revealed to the whole world. Now you may not have <clears throat> excuse me, the title of elder this morning. But you can still serve. You, um, you can still contribute. You are still a vital part of this congregation. So consider yourself an elder. If you're a leader, in my opinion, you're an elder. And if you're not a leader, aspire to become one. As a fellow elder, I appeal to you, care for the flock that God has entrusted to you. Watch over it willingly, not grudgingly. Not for what you will get out of it, but because you are eager to serve God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your own good example. And then, when the great shepherd appears, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. Can we say amen? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that our Lord Jesus is that word. We thank you that he put on flesh and moved into our neighborhood, became our next door savior, showed us the light, the life, the way. Father, help us live up 
to the highest standards of our good shepherd, the Lord Jesus. Give us the zeal that our Lord Jesus had for your house and your people. Give us your courage, your strength. And we ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings to you all. pray. Heavenly Father, let us take these words that we heard today and let, let them become part of us. Let us always want to follow our shepherd. Let us always want to lead others to follow our shepherd. So Lord, as we, as we go through our lives, let us know let us realize each day that you're here with us. You're at the gate. You are the gate. And we, we can only, we know that if we come to you, you will listen. So Lord, be, be with us every day as we pray. And may we always recognize the joy that you put in our in our daily lives this we ask in Jesus name amen <clears throat>